0: Good morning. good morning. My name is Jeff. Jeff Schreckengast, as Brent mentioned, and I'm so gr- glad and thrilled to be worshiping and serving with you here today at Vestal. I'm um, glad to be here with my friends and glad Randy Hester came too. Uh, maybe he's my friend, but good to see you, Randy. Uh, my name, like I said, my name is Jeff. I used to serve at this campus and now I'm serving as interim campus pastor in Conklin. And I know you've been praying for uh, us as we've looked for a pastor just like you guys are looking for a pastor. And Pastor Tim is coming in two weeks. He's moving in on December 7th and starting on December 12th for speaking. So thank you for praying and uh, thank you for being a part of that. I'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12. We will get there in just a few moments. We're starting a brand new series today. You can see it here on this screen. Uh, The next slide will tell us the beginning of the series. It's the money series. Yeah, they brought in me to to talk about money because I'll be leaving next week. You won't have to be mad at me again. (laughs) But just a two-week series on money. You can see the title, Jesus Talks About Money, Why More is Never Enough. Why More is Never Enough. So let me get this clicker here working. Oh, it's not working. There we go. So, to start today, we're going to open up and I want to kind of get the creative juices flowing and I want to ask a couple of questions to kind of get you in the thought process of where we're headed today. Okay, so here's some questions to answer in your mind to to yourself, not out loud. Which is better to have, more or enough? Which is better to have, enough or more? That seems like a pretty easy answer, but would your answer be different if you were not in church? What would it be different if you were outside of church? Okay, let's, let's um, change it up a bit. Which is better, contentment or greed? And how does contentment and greed relate or compare to more or enough? How do they compare with each other? Okay, let me, let me change it up just a little bit more. Consider this option. Would you rather have $1 million more than you have right now, or do you want to be content with everything you have? One million dollars more than you have right now, or would you rather be content with everything you have? You know, something, I think we all would be tempted to say, man, give me the million bucks. I'll work on it. I'll be as content as I can be, but just give me that million bucks and, and things will be great. But here's the thing. If more is always better than enough, then more is never enough. If more is always better than enough, then more is never enough. Think about that. If more is better than enough, then we always want a little more because more is never enough. So what we're going to do today is we're going to confront some lies. Some lies in this parable in the the book of Luke chapter 12. And here's the main one. The first main lie, the overriding lie is this. It's on the screen here. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Let me read it from my Bible here. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says this. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So here's a lie. The lie is life consists in abundance of possessions. Basically what that means is the more stuff you have, the better life will be. And that's one of the lies that we're going to confront today. The more stuff we have, the better it will be. And clear, See, it's good to state lies clearly and get them out in the open. It's good to get them out in the light of day to speak about them, to, Because once they're out in the light of day, yeah, people won't people won't believe they're true. They're exposed to the truth. Because once they're clearly seen, uh, then they lose their power. Well, at least we think that. You watch the news these days and you really begin to wonder. But once lies are clearly stated in the open, they begin to lose their power. So here's our goal today. Our goal is we're going to unpack this parable in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus exposes three lies. Three lies that causes us to choose more over contentment and causes us to choose greed over generosity. So Luke chapter 12, you should already be there already. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 16. And he told them this parable, the ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So here's the first lie. The first lie, it's all from me. The first lie is we believe it's all from me. Let's go back to that verse again. I want you to notice that that verse, Who or what yielded an abundant harvest? Was it the farmer? No, it says the ground yielded an abundant harvest. So tell me something. Who sent the rain? Who sent the sun? Who held back the locusts and the disease? Who caused caused the ground to do what it does? Who controls the earth? Well, it's pretty obvious who controls the earth. Let's switch it up a bit. Who gave the farmer the ability, the wisdom, the knowledge to know when to plant? To know what to plant? To know when to plant it, when to harvest, when to rotate his crops? What crops work best in this climate and what crops work best in the fall and the spring? Who does all that? Well, of course, it's God. See, when we believe the lie that we are the source of every blessing in our life, it reveals something about us that's not so good. That we need to work on and change. You see, it's that, it's that thinking, it's that attitude that stunts our generosity. It's that thinking that we think we deserve everything we have, and it's so contrary to generosity. Show me a grateful person, and I will show you a man or a woman who thinks that they've gotten more out of life than they deserve. Pastor Don was here when we were still at Ross Corners before we switched, before we merged with Bridgewater. And we would ask him, how you doing today, Pastor Don? Better than I deserve, better than I deserve. A grateful person is someone who thinks that they've gotten more out of life than they deserve. And when they feel that way, when we feel that, we, we tend to be more generous. You see, a lack of generosity could also be called greed. A lack of generosity could also be called greed, and greed and debt are usually closely related. And that, I believe that reveals a deeper problem and that's of discontentment. When we're discontented with what we have, with, with, with what God has given us, we always want a little more. We always want to change. We want something a little different. Let me ask you a question, but this, answer this question only in your mind's eye. Don't, don't look around, just answer in your mind's eye. How many of you would say you are stretched financially? I think most of us would raise our hand, you know, if I could just get a little more, if I could just get $1,000 extra a month, maybe, maybe $10,000 a year. Man, if I could get $50,000, if I could make over $100,000, then I would no longer be stressed or stretched financially. Well, research has been done, and it says that they've learned that 54% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. What does paycheck to paycheck mean? It means this, a person living paycheck to paycheck does not have $1,000 in reserve or in saving to help themselves when they get in a a financial stress. They cannot cover a $1,000 emergency from their savings. 54%. So look at the person sitting next to you. Think about that, half the people in this room were living paycheck to paycheck. And here's the surprising thing. In that research also they found that 40%, here it is on the screen, 40% of Americans who are making more than $100,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. 40% of people making more than $100,000. And just a minute ago, you said, if I could make over $100,000, I'd be good. And 40% of Americans are still living paycheck to paycheck. Their conclusion was this. Being stretched or stressed financially has little to do with income and more to do with our expenses and our attitude about money. It has more to do with our expenses and our attitude about money. You see, when we cannot cover the cost of $1,000, $800, $1,100, whatever it is, when we cannot cover the cost of $1,000 expense of ourselves from our own savings account, there's no way we can be generous enough to help someone else out. I know tons of people who are so very generous in their hearts but they can't be physically because they're stretched financially thin here's what that means i think there are two reasons why we need to save and the number one reason we find this in this passage scripture we need to save for our future see the rich man he had it right he knew the situation he was providing for himself in the future is it wrong to save our money absolutely not is it wrong to have savings account Is it wrong to have savings? When we have savings, money in our savings, we can help ourselves when unexpected things happen, or we can help someone else when unexpected things happen to them. Matter of fact, God teaches it. Jesus teaches it. God commands it. You see, no matter how good we are with our budgets, no matter how good we are with money, there are things that happen that are unseen that we cannot predict that will wipe us out if we don't have something as a buffer in the bank. And there's something else to consider. I believe that God intentionally gives some people less and some people more so that the people who have more can give to those people who have less. I think God intentionally does that. He instructs those of us who have more to be generous and give, give it away. He also teaches that in the book of Acts, Jesus teaches us that we need to give our money away to be very generous. There are many of us that understand that this is important. But also, we know that it's very, it's harder, let me, let me stop right here, sorry. We know that it's better to give than receive. But we also know that it's harder to receive than to give. But that's, both of those aspects are part of God's plan, because God says for us to be generous, to bear one another's burdens. And we can't bear one another's burdens if we're not generous. All that to say, it is important to set money aside for our future, so we will be less likely to be a burden and so we can help someone else when they might be a burden as when they might need some financial help. And that's the second reason why I think it's important to save. It's important to save for our future and it's also important to save if someone else needs some cash, needs some money. You know, you know how that works, you've, you've, you've been there. So it's important for us to save so we can be a blessing to someone else. And you know something, there's another aspect, important aspect that we miss if we believe this lie that it's all from me. And that's the aspect of gratitude. Look at this passage on the screen here from the book of James chapter one. James one, chapter one verse 17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's something we need to remember and understand, that it's all from God. Everything we've got, all the money you have in your pocket right now, all the possessions, your iPhone, your car, your motorcycle, your house, it's all given to you by God. Everything is from God. You know what else is from God? Now, don't laugh, but my intelligence isn't something that I earned. No, my intelligence, your intelligence, guess what? That was given to you, given to me by God. My health, your health was given to you by God. My place of birth, I was born in Western Ohio in America. For those of you who were born in America, that was a privilege given to you by God. Your heritage, your intelligence, your health, everything was given to you by your Savior. When we understand this reality and this truth, it gives us something much bigger and much more powerful than greed. And that is gratitude. And there's one thing that I learned during my study and studying this passage during this, this last couple of weeks, when I was preparing for this message, I learned some benefits of gratitude that I, I kind of knew, but then I found out about them, and I was like, "Wow, that is really powerful. I want to share them with you." You see, gratitude is one of the healthiest things that you can do for your physical well being your emotional well being and your relationships as well. Research has been done which tells us that gratitude is the key to a psychological well being Grateful people are happier, they have better relationships. Gratitude counterreacts depression and suicidal thoughts. It also improves our physical health. It's been discovered that people who write a gratitude letter, either a note of gratitude once a week for 10 weeks, once a week for 10 weeks, or write a note in a, in a gratitude journal for 10 weeks, not 5, not 8, not 9, but 10, that they slept better. Their skin was clear. They lowered their blood pressure. They had less congestion and less stomach problems, less body aches. It was amazing. Grateful people recover more quickly from illnesses like heart attacks. Can you imagine if a pharmaceutical company developed a pill that would do all all those things, how much money they would make? Listen, I'm here to tell you it's free. You don't need a pill. All you have to do is be more grateful, share gratitude. No one has to manufacture it. You be more grateful, if you're more grateful, your body will thank you for it. Listen, I don't know how it works, but here's what I know to be true. Denying reality hurts. If you think you can fly and you try to fly, you're going to get hurt. Denying reality hurts. If you think you can see in the dark and you try to navigate across one of your child's bedroom floors at night, it has Legos scattered across it, it's going to hurt. You see, reality hurts. Denying reality hurts. And people who are not grateful or are denying the truth and resisting the the reality that everything is from God, it literally hurts our body. It hurts our bodies emotionally and spiritually and physically. Listen, it's all from God and we need to grasp that truth and your body will thank you. There are people who are naturally grateful. I'm married to a person who's naturally grateful. But the rest of us, we have to work on it. So we're gonna do a little experiment. So pull out your phones. Okay, pull out your phone and open it up. If you you don't have a cell phone and you don't text, uh, pull out a piece of paper. If you pull out your cell phone, I want you to text somebody right now that you're grateful for. Text them and tell them why you're grateful. And if you don't have a phone, then I want you to write it down and come back and do it later. Okay, tell them why you're grateful for them right now. Go ahead and send that. Okay, I'll give you a minute to do that. I'm going to send someone, uh, Scott, uh, as well. There, I just sent mine. Okay, Tell, tell someone you're grateful for them. We also have something set up for you. You can see it here on the screen behind me, a 10-week challenge. Pastor Brett mentioned it. We have thank you cards. And these are the packet of thank you cards. They're going to be on 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 the table on the way out. Here's what we've set up for you to do. You text the word thankful. If you have your phone out right now, go ahead and do it. I did it already. Text the word thankful to that phone number, and you'll get a response back. And then once a week for 10 weeks, you'll get a reminder to... Write a, a gratitude letter or write a gratitude letter to somebody. That's what these notes are for. You'll get a text, write someone a gratitude note, drop it in the mail, or text someone, or write it in a journal, write it on a piece of paper next to your bed. It doesn't have to be something fancy or special, it just has to be something that you want to do. So, write a gratitude letter and do it for 10 weeks. Just do it, and your body will thank you for it. So, grab one of those packs on the way out. And get that started. So be grateful. Share share gratitude. Grab one of those packs on your way out and do it for 10 weeks. You know something? You build that habit and pretty soon you'll do it for 10 weeks, for 20 weeks. Maybe you'll do it all the way for a whole year. But here's the thing we need to remember. That it's not from me Everything we have is from God. We need to be generous and and be grateful about that. Let's continue on with the text. Look at verse uh, Luke, the next verse here. Luke um, chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. Oh, I think I missed the passage. No, I don't. Then he said this, this is what I do, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build big ones, there I'll store my surplus in grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the second lie that we need to confront today, we believe that it's all for us, we believe that it's all for us. I mean, he sounded pretty content, he said, I'm going to take life easy, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, but a closer look at this text reveals that he wasn't quite content yet. He had a plan in place that he, where he was going to run where he believes that he would make him content, but he wasn't quite there yet. He's going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones and put more grain in there. Then he's going to be content. Then I can enjoy the rest of my life. But here's the unfortunate truth. He never did quite reach contentment, now did he? He thought he was close, but he never quite arrives. See, unfortunately, that is the nature of greed. Once you get a little more, Then you need a little more. Then you need a little more. Then you need just a little bit more. You know, there are three financial classes of people in America. We've heard about this on the news quite a bit recently. There's the poor, the middle class, and the rich. And every single one of these financial classes has a different view of money. See, the poor believe, we believe, that money is just for us, for our spending. The middle class, their attitude about money is, the money is for spending, and the money is for saving on themselves. And then the rich, they believe the money is for spending, savings, and investing on themselves. Now I know there's some idiosyncrasies and some other things as well, but that's, that just says it simply. I'm sure all of you or some of you could share stories about your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents, how, how when they came to this country with nothing but the clothes on their back and a few coins in the pockets, what they had to do to, prov- to survive and provide for the families. How to make ends meet. I've heard and read stories about people that went through the Great Depression and the things that they had to do. These people were poor, but you know something? Many or most of them had a middle class mentality, so they saved. They saved everything. I heard about people who had, who had uh, toilets in the house, but in order to save water, they made sure everyone went outside and used the outhouse. Yeah, they'd use the outhouse. They raised animals for food. They raised crops for food. They used every part of the animal. They used the down feathers from the ducks and the geese for pillows and coats and the skins from the animals for, for, for clothing and bedding and, and things on the floor. These were people where soda was only a special treat for grandkids and they never ever drank alcohol. Not because they didn't like it, but because it was way more expensive than water. My, parent, my grandparents were middle class people not because of their income, but because of their mindset. Neither of my grandmothers worked. My father's father worked in the coal mines in western Pennsylvania. His mom didn't work. She stayed home. My mom's dad worked on a dairy farm. And my, her, her mother, my grandmother, she stayed home and raised. There were 13 kids in that family. But they saved everything. They had a mindset where money was for savings. They washed clothes by hands. They washed... Uh, cloth diapers out in the toilet before they washed them in the washing machine and then hung them on the clothesline to dry. You see, for the poor, for the rich, and for the middle class, the dividing line isn't income. It's mindset. It's mindset on how we think about money. And here's the thing. When Jesus taught about money to these three groups of people, to everyone, he wasn't trying to get the poor to act like the middle class or the middle class to act like a poor. He was trying to get them to think differently about money. He introduced another concept about money, and that's giving. Jesus introduced the concept of giving back when he was on earth, and we, we read that throughout the scripture, that our money is not just for us, it's for others. and Because that's the lie, we believe it's all for us. See, giving is not natural for any one of these three groups. Most people think, well, I don't have enough money for myself, so how can I give it away? The poor think that. The middle class think that. And the rich, man, I just want to do it all for myself. So Jesus' teaching on money challenges us. It challenged every single one of them on every single financial level on a different level that our money is not just for us. It's for giving away. Think about the widow who had two mites. By the way, in today's economy, those two mites were about two quarters worth. That's what she had in her pocket. What did Jesus say about her? Did he condemn her? Did he tell her, oh, she should have a savings? No, he praised her for her generosity. He he praised her for giving all her money away. See, here's the deal. It's not all for us. It's also for others. The antidote to greed is not buying more things. It's not saving more money. It's not investing in more opportunities or, or bigger things. No, the antidote, the pathway to contentment, is away from greed and towards generosity. And I'm so thrilled and thankful to be part of Bridgewater where we model this. Our overseers and our our stewardship team, they they model this. I'm gonna share a few things with you how we at Bridgewater give our money away to help other people. Maybe you're not aware, but we give over $100,000 a year to missionaries around the globe. This campus alone here, you guys support Ruth Rising, who's a missionary in South Africa at a, at a Bethesda orphanage. You also support Alan Niles, who works at a hospital in Togo, West Africa. At Conklin, we support Steve and Debbie Douglas, who live and serve in Akita, Peru, and also Phil Fenton, who serves in Japan. And the other campuses, they support uh, some other missionaries as well. About a month ago or so, Bridgewater gave $125,000 to a pastor in India to buy a house. We just gave them, they needed a house, so we gave them a house. We also, Pastor Brett mentioned the money for the food bank or the food for the food bank. Bridgewater over 2021 gave over $20,000 to various charities and food banks and foster care. I know that this campus gives gifts to the Vestal School System and the Vestal Police. We at Conklin give to the Susquehanna Valley School System and the Binghamton Police and the fire departments out there. We also gave over $20,000 this year in benevolence just to people within our, within our family that needed some help. All told, Bridgewater gave away three over $300,000 in 2021 because we know that it's not for us. It's for other people. It's for us giving it away. We also support CareNet and Life Choices Center, which I'll, I'll talk about more in just a minute. So here's my question for you. What's your next step in generosity? What is God challenging you to do? If you're here this morning and you're being challenged about being more generous, but you're not sure how, I've got three possible ways that I want to share with you. And Pastor Brett mentioned another one that I'm going to add in as a possible fourth. If you don't already, here's number one, if you don't already give regularly, give to God regularly. If you don't want to give to Bridgewater, give to somebody else. Give to another, another agency, CareNet Net or Life Choices Center. But begin giving regularly. Giving should, giving and getting our money and giving our money should be like as natural as breathing in and breathing out. My wife and I, we get paid every two weeks. So guess what? We give every two weeks. That helps remind us that our money comes in and it's important for us to remember who gave it to us and what we do with it. So we give every two weeks as well. Here's an idea. Try giving to someone or something this week that you normally don't give to. He mentioned those resources downstairs with the kids ministry. Buy one and give it to a needy family in your neighborhood Someone that your kid goes to school with. Someone in this church that needs it. Buy one of those Bibles and give them as a gift. Give this somebody this week you don't normally give to. And here's an idea. Make it fun. Ask your kids to be involved. Ask your grandkids to be involved. Start the process when they're young so that they get into the habit. So when they get older, they'll be doing it with their kids as well. Can you imagine the impact that you can make on future generations when you start that process and that habit of being generous right now? Second thing is give proportionately. That means give a percentage. Give 2%, give 5%, give 10%. If you're already giving some, give some more. We often think, man, the more money I make, the easier it's gonna be to give. And actually the opposite is true. The less money people make, we have found, it's been found that it's easier to give because as my income increases, that percentage increases, you're like, man, that's a lot of money I'm giving away. So give proportionately. And start now. And finally, give sacrificially. See, it's not for us. Give above and beyond. What are you going to, here's, here's how I think. I think to myself, I got, what am I going to do with this f- extra five bucks? You know, here's what I try to do. When I go out to eat for, at a restaurant for lunch or breakfast with, with some people, some guys or my, my wife, I'll look around the restaurant and I'll, I'll try to find a guy with a veteran's cap on who served in the Navy or, or Vietnam or something like that. And then I buy his meal. Or I see a first responder, I buy their meal anonymously. Give sacrificially. Or when I give my, my uh, I give a tip and I figure out the 18 or 20% how much I'm gonna give and it's $5.25. Oh, I'll just give him a five. No, I, I bump it up, give him six, give him seven. What am, I, what am I gonna do with a dollar? So give sacrificially. Those are just some ideas, some things that I do. Those are, those are things that you don't have to do, but I just want to encourage you that. So has God blessed you in such a way that He wants you to give above and beyond what you regularly give? One of the things we do here at Bridgewater is every fall we have a vision campaign where we raise money for something. This year we're raising money for pregnancy price, cre- preg- uh, how do I say that? <laughs> Our pregnancy crisis centers, there we go. CareNet Montrose, Susquehanna County and Life Choices Center here in Broome County. CareNet down in Montrose, they, they need to build or expand their offices. So we're raising money to help them build and expand their offices. We're gonna partner with Forest Lake Baptist Church just across the border in Pennsylvania. They're gonna provide the, the manpower and the equipment to build or remodel, and we're gonna help provide the money. Also, Life Choices Center here in Broome County, they wanna hire a men's outreach director. They wanna hire a man, a men's outreach director, Because you know something, here's what I discovered this week. I didn't know this before. But did you know that 100% of crisis pregnancies involve a man? (laughs) Yeah, 100% of crisis pregnancies involve a man. So they want to hire a men's director because here's here's what they've learned. The father of that unborn child has more influence than anyone else on whether the mother keeps the child. So we get to be a part of saving babies. Isn't that awesome? You get to be a part of saving babies. Yeah, go ahead. So when when you give to God through Bridgewater, that's what we're going to do this year, save babies in, in Susquehanna County and save babies in Broome County. You see, the first lie we confronted this morning is that it's all from me. The second lie, that it's all for me. And the third and final lie Jesus confronts in this passage Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. I don't have this written down in my Bible, but it's, let me read it for you. Um, Let me have it on the screen. Here we go. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? He said, Jesus said, listen, man, you're going to die. All that money you saved up, who's going to get it? You have no idea what, what's gonna to happen to it. So how do we avoid, so here's the lie. The lie is we have more time. How do we avoid greed and embrace contentment? How can we avoid the fate of the rich fool? Well, you need to think opposite of what he thought and do opposite of what he did. He thought he had more time. As a pastor and a part of this, this campus and then Ross Corners for 20 plus years, I've done and attended a lot of funerals. And it's very rare to do a funeral where, where someone knew he was going to die. Some of you will remember the name Ralph Bessard. He was very sick with COPD, he knew he was gonna die, and um, so he did some really unusual and great things, but he knew he was gonna die. But it's very rare that people know that they're going to die. Sylvia Crolato used to attend this Baptist church, and when Pastor Howard left here, he handed me an envelope with her funeral plans already in them. You know something, that's a rare occasion. And all the funerals that I've done and attended, it's very rare for that to happen. And you know what's very sobering to me? Of all the funerals that I've done and attended, most of the individual, or how many of the individuals that I've done are younger than me. We all tend to think that we have more time. Oh, I'll be more generous once the house is paid off. I'll be more generous once the kids get out of the house or I pay off the car. I'll be more generous when. And you know something that's probably not going to happen. We need to live and we need to give with urgency because, friends, our time is short. More money will not buy us more time. Listen, we know that it's true, but we often don't act like that. We often don't live like we have more time, like like we think we, we don't have enough time. There's a church in our region of Pennsylvania, just across the border, that was given a $4 million endowment. And the pastor said that was the worst thing that could ever happen to them. Because their their church is being supported off the interest. And guess what happens? Nobody gives anymore because, hey, they don't need my money. They don't need my money because they got this endowment. They don't need me. And when people stop giving financially to something or to a church, they stop serving in that church as well because they have no investment in it. I mean, think about it. For those of you who put money in the stock market, how often do you check the stocks? If you're invested in a a pizza shop, or a a car wash, or something that your friend asks you to to get involved in, a restaurant, how often do you go there and check on it? Well, you, you check on it often because you're invested in it, because you've put money into it. I mentioned this before, and I want to say it again, I'm so thankful for the stewardship team at Bridgewater and how they lead by example in this area. At Bridgewater, we keep three to four months of operating expenses in the bank. That's it. We don't want to stock away money because we don't want to have a perpetuating investment. We don't want to lock away money. We want to use what God has given us now to change the world now and not save money to you at some other time. Because we don't know how much more time we or this world has left. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your wallet. Pull out your wallet or a credit card or checkbook or if you have Apple Pay, pull out your phone. Okay, go ahead and pull that out or pull out a dollar or a coin. I see everyone's really slow to to get involved. That's okay. Pull it out. And as as you are pulling it out, Matthew here, the the verse on the screen is this, Matthew 6.21. Jesus tells us that where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. So take that coin, take that checkbook or wallet and hold it out like this away from you. Okay, here's what that verse is saying. Your heart will follow your wallet. Your wallet will not follow your heart. So here's the question. Where is your wallet leading your heart? Where is your wallet leading your heart? Because the Bible, Jesus says, your wallet will lead your heart. See, people don't give to, when people stop giving to to church or giving to something, they usually don't volunteer. They usually don't work. Their heart isn't in it because they're not giving it anymore. If you stop giving to the church, you likely will not volunteer or serve at the church. You may, maybe you know this already, but at the beginning of 2021, Bridgewater paid off all its debts. We were, were able to be debt-free, and that was a huge blessing. And so we could be socking all types, stockpiling all types of cash and, and stockpiling it for the future. But God wants us to make more and better disciples now. God wants us to plant more campuses now not sometime in the future. We want to take the money that God has given us and do it now. There's an urgency. There's an urgency to get it done because we don't know when Jesus will return. Those funerals that I've done, they don't know when they're going to die. Think of Chris Flanders and Shelby and, and Deborah Coe and so many other people, some people from this, this campus as well. We don't know when we're going to die. And right now we can witness freely. We can witness, we can stand up here and do this in America. We don't know how, how much longer that's going to last. There's an open door. Jesus says, the fields are white unto harvest because tomorrow is not guaranteed. See, the rich fool thought he had more time, but he didn't. Don't be like the rich fool. Don't think you'll have more time. I'll be generous. I'll be grateful in the future. I'll give my money away later. Everyone thinks we have more time than we really do. Friends, we have now. We have today. So let's seize the day. You know, as a pastor, I would not be a pastor worth my salt if I stood up here and did all this teaching and didn't help you, give you some ideas of things to do. So I'm going to leave you with some action steps. How do I avoid, how do you, how do we avoid avoid greed and embrace contentment? How can we avoid the fate that the rich young fool had? So what we're going to do is we're going to go back over each one of these lies and look at them very briefly and give you an action step. So number one, the first lie is this. It's all from me. That was the first lie. Friends, we've learned that it's all from God. So here's something you can do. Every single day this week, post on social media somebody or something you're grateful for. Or write a note or send them a note in the mail. Do it every single day. Every single day, post or write someone a note of why you're grateful. The second lie was this, it's all for me. And we learn from this passage that it's not all for me. We need to be generous, we need to give it away. So give to somebody or something this week you don't normally give to. Buy one of those resources downstairs. Go give some money or some diapers to the Life Choices Center. Buy a meal for a veteran or a cop at a restaurant. It's not all for us. God gives it for us to give away. And number three, I have more time. And that's the lie. The urgency is we don't know when we're going to die. So what's the action step for number three? Make sure you do one of the first two, or do both of the first two. Make a commitment to do one of the, something for number one, something for number two as well. You know, something more is never enough. We always are going to want more, so we got to be content and be generous and live with gratitude. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for the things that you've taught us. Thank you for the things we learned from our scriptures about money. Father, we know that um, money is something that uh, you talk about so many times in the scriptures. Father, help me, help my friends in this room, help us to be more gospel minded when it comes to how we use our money. Thank you, Father, for these, learn- these teachings that we've learned this morning from your words. In Christ's name, amen.